I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters topic of the week is what is love magic and what can it do? Hey there listeners, I'm Jem. Hey listeners, I'm Rhea. Today we're talking about the most powerful and mysterious form of magic and trying to figure out what exactly you can do with it. Hey, happy Valentine's Day in the future. Not right now, but it's coming. It's February 1st. (laughs) Happy early Valentine's Day. (laughs) Oh, before we get too into it, I want to say a shout out to our first patron because like we have a patron now and we're very excited about it. Yeah. Thank you, MB. <laughs> That's the only name we have? Yeah. Is that their Patreon username? I believe so. There's a email, but I don't want to read it out because obviously it's private. <laughs> Thank you, MB, for becoming our first patron. We're very happy and shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was very surprising and very wonderful, and we love you so much. And we will have contacted you in person before this episode releases. <laughs> Yes. Not in person, via email. <laughs> we'll be working on that personalised single float episode for you. Yeah. It's exciting. Alright, let's get into love magic, shall we? Before we get into love magic, I have, we have a pet theory about what magic is and how it developed. This is heavily based on a lot of information from our What Actually Is Magic miniseries, especially episode yeah. three. So if you haven't listened to that and you're interested in Harry Potter meta or you you want to know what it is we're talking about in more detail, I highly recommend you check out that miniseries. It's really good. We go into a lot of depth. It's really interesting. Not to not to brag. <laughs> yeah, we're great. <laughs> Listen it's to our thorough. earlier episodes if you've just joined us from the <laughs> That's Not Canon Productions crew. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So in that miniseries, we... Gem had a go at defining what magic is and then we applied it to all of the information that we had about magic in the series and tried to figure out if that definition worked and it did the definition is magic is emotion manifested by will in brackets consciously or subconsciously and brackets to make change to what is natural and in that mini series we looked at how magic exists in plants and animals and from there we've thought about how it likely evolved Mm-hmm. So magic would have started first out of manifested sensation, which is how plants do magic, such yep. as the Whomping Willow, which obviously manifests sensation of being touched into the will to move itself around and make sure that nobody ever touches it again. Yeah, move. <laughs> and from there, magic evolved into manifested instinct, which is what we see from magical animals, such as the demiguise, which has the instinct to hide and remain unseen by predators and that manifests into magical fur which turns it invisible and finally the final stage of magical evolution was manifested emotions which is how the ancient humans and other beings such as goblins were able to use magic so yeah this leads into this theory that we have called ancient magic I was calling it ancient elemental magic, but I, I've gotten rid of the word elemental because it doesn't work anymore. No, yeah. So the earliest, most ancient form of magic that the early humans, who would one day evolve into witches and wizards, had access to was purely emotionally based. I think mm-hmm. these early humans were able to manifest pure emotion to create mag- magical effects. And over time, this process was slowly evolved and refined and structured from pure emotion and instinct into magical rituals like the rituals which gave Voldemort back his body Mm -hmm. and from ritual magic into Mm -hmm. magic done with wands like the modern magic we see in Harry Potter where 
Yeah. Humans use wands to channel their magic into a rigid series of spells that they learn through memorization and practice. Going from like a big performance or a ritual, which is, involves a lot of ingredients and components, to harnessing your will and emotion into one object, which then releases the magic. Mm-hmm. It's a different sort of process. Yeah. yeah. I think it's exactly the same process. No, it's exactly the same effect, but it's a different process to get it done. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. But I think that the ancient magic still exists. Well, we know it still exists because we see it in the series. Yeah. Uh, And even though modern witches and wizards don't understand it anymore, they can still access it and they still use it. And that's how we see love magic existing in the books. Interesting. I love that. Yeah. So I I have some more thoughts on ancient magic. I've developed this theory a little bit more since the last time we spoke about it. Yeah. Should I talk about that a little bit more before we get into love magic? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So our original theory, your original definition talked about emotion. Yeah. And I've been saying emotion, but from thinking about a little bit more, I think it might be more accurate to say something like magic is a manifestation of the most basic primal forces that make up sentience or consciousness. Yeah. Because that makes sense from the progression of sensation, instinct to emotion. Emotion's only one aspect. Yeah. This is crazy because so something I talk about later in my notes is basically this. We were on the same track without knowing it. Excellent. <laughs> we're, we're always on the same page. We're truly sisters. So if, if emotion, because originally when I was thinking about ancient magic, I was thinking about the different emotions Yeah. and I had love, but I also had things like death and thought. And I'm like, those aren't actually emotions. So what are they? No, no. And I started thinking about components of an intelligent creature and like the aspects of consciousness. So I've said that the ones that we know about, both from the books and from our theories based on the books, is sensation, instinct, emotion, and then thought, time, and death. So basically the progression of a creature evolving is able to feel sensations, have instincts, feel emotions, think and structure those emotions perceive time and then imagine its own death and its own mortality. There's also something else. All of these components too are things that occur in a body, a living body. Yes. Which I think is important to mention. It's not just something, what's the word? Immaterial? No, metaphysical. It's something very physical too. Yeah. All of these are very physical processes, which makes sense. It's like magic isn't some weird ethereal or, I don't know, celestial thing. It's something that comes from no. the the physical lives Within. that we live and the bodies and the... Uh, I don't know what the word for a plant body is. <laughs> the living things organic? that we are. Is something organic. Yeah, organic. The organic yeah. things that we are. Yeah. yeah. So, obviously, like, I'm talking about things that I barely understand. The idea of what makes consciousness is like this massive philosophical question that I can't answer. The things that I've listed are based on our previous episodes and our previous theories and also the rooms in the Department of Mysteries. The the key part of this theory, like how we came up with it, is that the purpose, the secret purpose that nobody knows of the Department of Mysteries is to study ancient magic. So when we go to the Department of Mysteries in the fifth book, each room is dedicated to a different aspect of ancient magic. So the rooms that we see... A different primal source, if you will. The rooms that we see is the uh, love room, which is obviously one of the emotion rooms. We can't get into it, but we know that it exists and Dumbledore talks about it. The thought room, which has the brains. Yep. Uh, the time room, which has all the time turners yeah, nice. and then leads into the Hall of Prophecy and the death room, which has the veil of death. We also see the space room. Well, we don't see it, but we hear about it because Luna and Neville and Ginny get lost in it as well. Oh yeah, space. So I think space would be part of sensation Yeah. because perceiving yourself in space. Oh yeah. yeah. Physical space. Physical space. Yeah. Having yeah. a body, being Trapped able to feel. Yeah. yeah. Moving through space. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, we can only guess at what the other rooms are and what they're dedicated to, what they might contain. Who knows? <laughs> Who, what, when, where and why? It's like that room in, like, Spy Kids where the guy's <laughs> dancing around. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. it. 
So that's all of the the preamble that I have. Okay. <laughs> leading into our discussion of love magic. Is there anything else that you want to jump into before we get straight into love magic? No, I think I want to talk about love magic and then circle back to this theory of primal primal power and I guess magical icona because I think I've got a, a tying a nice little yeah loose end to tie together at the end of this episode. Okay, perfect. By the way, just quickly, I absolutely love this theory. Same. This theory started, like, back when you first read Order of the Phoenix. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, basically as a joke. Basically just a cool idea. Oh, hey, love's the most powerful form of magic. What if all the other rooms in the Department of Mysteries were other forms of magic? Yeah. And from there, we've managed to build this massive theory about what magic is, how it was created, how it works. And I'm... I'm so happy that we did this podcast purely just for this, just for this one result that we have this cool theory about magic and Harry Potter. Like, if nothing else came with this podcast, I'd be so happy with just this. This is the nerdiest shit I've ever done, and I love it. (laughs) This is us geeking out, but doing it academically with, like, structure theories that we develop over time and test. I love it. It's great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, fantastic. So, magic. Love magic. So, I looked about up about love in Harry Potter, and I got this definition. This is just about love the emotion. Mm-hmm. So, love is a deep, yep. powerful, and ineffable emotion of attachment to and affection for another being or beings. Love is one of the hardest and strongest kinds of magic. Love is also, quite possibly, the most mysterious branch of magic, and is extremely difficult to comprehend. So, it's temperamental. Mm-hmm. And then I was looking at some examples of just, like, quotes that came to mind throughout the series, and I was looking them up. So, this one sticks out to me. You are protected, in short, by your ability to love, the only protection that you can possibly work against, the law of power like Voldemort's. In spite of all the temptations you have endured, all the suffering, you remain pure of heart, as pure as you were five years ago, when you looked into the mirror that reflected your heart's desire. Harry, do you have any idea how few wizards would see what you saw in the mirror? Dumbledore talking to Harry, mm-hmm. obviously. So, this got me thinking about the connection between love and purity. Yeah, and, and that this is what sort of started my whole spiel. And so, I looked more into love, and obviously, whenever whenever you're looking to love magic, the most biggest thing that comes up is the loving sacrifice. Yes, because almost everything we know about love magic is about the Potter family, Lily Potter protecting her son, and then Harry Potter protecting his found family of everyone at Hogwarts in the battle. Yeah, so, and I've got a lot to say about that as well. Yeah. Let's talk about the loving sacrifice. So, the loving sacrifice mm-hmm. causes these effects. A protection from dark magic. Mm-hmm. It exists in the blood. I'm going to talk a lot about this. Yeah. And it keeps one pure and untempted by the dark arts, and away from hateful and spiteful emotions. Obviously, people still experience these emotions, but it's the complete antithesis to the hateful and spiteful emotions that fuel dark magic. Okay. So... Those who abuse the power of love or apply it for the sake of those who have an affinity for the dark arts usually suffer from some severe backlash. This is weird, okay? Mm -hmm. So even associating, even like trying to love someone who has a close affinity to the dark arts can fuck you up. That's how like pure love magic is. It's so pure, it's ice cold. (laughs) Like it'll it'll, like just destroy you if you even get too close to the dark arts by association. Okay. And this is because it goes against the first law of the fundamental laws of magic. So then I had to look up what the fundamental laws of magic were. And they're bullshit. It's just JK being dumb again. Mm-hmm. So this is the, <laughs> the, the fucking definition. <laughs> okay. The further someone goes towards meddling in the deepest underlying laws of magic, the more drastic and terrible the consequences will be. That is the first law of fundamental laws of magic. Which is dumb because it represent it references the laws of magic in the first law without explaining what they are. So it's not a real definition. Okay. <laughs> but essentially, I guess what it's trying to say yeah. is that the first fundamental law of magic is don't push it too far. Don't push what is established too far or the consequences will be severe, I guess, is what it's trying to say. That, that, that's not a rule. I know. That's not a like that's not a fundamental law of magic. That's that is advice for experimenting with magic. Okay. Um but I think what it's trying to say is that like and anyway, yeah, mm. it's poorly written and I don't think it's a real thing. But basically I think what it's trying to say is that you know how we talked about these primal sources? I think what it's saying is that you shouldn't yeah, 
fuck with them. <laughs> like, if you can, avoid fucking with them. But if you do, yeah, don't basically. go too far. Otherwise, it will come on you tenfold. I thought of, like, what Hermione said with the time turner. It's like, awful things happen to wizards that meddle with time, Harry. We mustn't be seen. It's like, the consequences are so severe that yeah. you can never recover, basically. <laughs> There's no ailment to heal you. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. And we know that, like... Trying to cheat yeah. death has terrible consequences. I imagine trying to corrupt or damage someone who's protected by love magic mm-hmm. would also have terrible consequences. Okay, look, I was upset about the rule at first, but now that I've thought about it a bit more, yeah, it's fine, I guess. The example that the rule uses too is the creation of a Horcrux is like so far gone into fucking with what is the established order of magic because it separates the body from the soul mm-hmm. this is getting more into like how the body is important for magic as well yeah and so separating the body from the soul is like a big no-no and you'll have dire consequences such as you can't pass on to an afterlife you're stuck in limbo so mm-hmm. other examples that it uses when it talks about how those who abuse the power of love have severe consequences so Marope Gaunt, using enchantments to subjugate the man that she truly loved, it had severe consequences on her because, of course, you know, the spell broke. Mm-hmm. She got abandoned. She died of sorrow and lost all her magic. She died in childbirth. Her son turned out to be a mass-murdering psychopath. Like, you know, it just keeps going. It's yeah. just bad consequences that never stop and never heal. Mm-hmm. And the same can be said of, like, another example was used was Mrs. Crouch and Winky freeing Barney Crouch Jr. They did it out of love for him, but what they did was so wrong because they were hating someone who was associated strongly with the dark arts mm-hmm. that it just caused, like, nothing good came from it. There was nothing good that came from doing that. Yeah. So it's really brutal. Okay. It's brutal. It is. Okay. Yeah. So then I was looking more about, like, the differences between, like, the sort of facets of love magic, and it always talks about the difference between true love and obsessive love. J.K. Rowling's talked yeah. about this at length, but basically... Yeah, it's a big thing that she cares about. Yeah, it's big important for her. True love means doing everything for their beloved's happiness, which is opposed to obsessive love, which means desperately attempting to be loved even though their beloved didn't reciprocate their love. Mm -hmm. So I have a question here before we get any further. Yeah. How does Snape represent true love? I know. In the story. We're told he is, (laughs) but he doesn't. (laughs) Honestly, before we had even decided what the topic of this episode was, just randomly, I was thinking to myself, hang on, Snape's love for Lily is a lot like Bellatrix's love for Voldemort. It is. The weird, obsessive, possessive, angry, jealous love. Mm. So I thought there was an entire episode in that dynamic, but let's talk about it right now. (laughs) You said true love is doing things for the other person's happiness? Yeah. Snape doesn't do things for Lily's happiness. No, he does it for his. Yeah. Possible exception is, like, post-death. She keeps... He keeps Harry safe because that's what Lily would have wanted. But, like... I 100% believe that if there was some sort of way that, like, he could have killed Harry and Lily would have wanted to be with him, that's what he would have done. Yeah. Because he ultimately it was self-serving. I also 100% believe that the way that he took care of Harry, took care of Harry, in quotes, yeah. wouldn't have made Lily happy. No, absolutely not. <laughs> he was an abusive ass to Harry. Yeah. She wouldn't have been happy with the way that Snape was treating him if she'd have been alive. No. So, it's bogus. Yeah. But yeah, the examples always used for true love are always Lily Potter protecting her son. Mm -hmm. The example always used for obsessive love is Bellatrix's love for Voldemort. Yeah. So then I was looking more, I was thinking about this divine true love. So there's another quote. Harry, do you know why Professor Quirrell couldn't bear to have you touch him? Mm -hmm. It was because of your mother. She sacrificed herself for you. And that kind of act leaves a mark. This kind of mark cannot be seen. It lives in your very skin. This is talking about love. Yeah. So... I was thinking about this pure kind of love protection. And we've talked about how the love sacrifice lives in the blood before. We talked about it in the Why Does Harry Have to Live with the Dursleys episode. Mm-hmm. Way back in, like, episode three, I think it was. So long ago. Episode two. No, no, episode two was just the Cursed Child canon. Was it? Oh, okay. Anyway, doesn't yeah, matter. who knows. Long time ago. <laughs> basic, basic recap. Uh, the sacrifice of Lily to protect Harry is shared by... Lily's blood. So the fact that Harry has to live with Petuno is because Petuno shares Lily's blood and therefore the love sacrifice protection exists in her blood as well. Mm-hmm. It's blood connections. So I have a theory about that. Okay. Yeah. So remember how I was saying that 
ancient magic is just like pure manifested emotion and will. And then wizards and humans started to structure it by forming it into rituals. Yeah. I think the tying of the love magic into blood is part of a ritual. So I think that the blood protection... No. The... Let me let me roll back for a second. I think the Lily's sacrifice protects Harry, and Harry has that protection within him. And I don't think that is specifically tied to his blood until Dumbledore performs the ritual of bestowing Harry onto Petunia and Petunia accepting him into her home. I think that like really, really basic kind of ritual is what creates this structured protection spell which has these rules like you know he has to be in the house at least once a year the protection only lasts within a certain distance of the house blah 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 i think that's a structured version of the more primal basic form of the spell which is just that harry is protected interesting i really like that Mm. okay that's cool i didn't think so much about the ritualistic side of it i was thinking more about the i guess biological organic side of it the visceral side of it yeah definitely Mm -hmm. but yeah that's great i love that what i thought of when i was thinking about the blood thing yeah was the age-old question about that people always ask jk it's like why didn't harry die in the chamber of secrets when the basilisk had been in yeah she said well the horcrux in order to be destroyed the whole vessel has to be destroyed beyond repair Mm -hmm. harry wasn't killed beyond repair because forks was there so it was a mix of forks being there and the fact that Harry's body wasn't destroyed beyond repair. Yeah. I like to think now that there was also because of the protection on Harry's blood from Lily's sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It protects you against dark magic. Yes. Basilisks are dark creatures. Mm-hmm. Therefore, their venom must be some kind of dark magic. And I think that the love magic in Harry's blood would have been fighting off that venom. And the, the phoenix tears were a help. And I think that's what saved him as well. Yeah. Because he should have died pretty quick, but he was holding on for a while. Mm-hmm. So That makes sense. That's my theory. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's better than what JK said. Yeah. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> it's There's a lot about that situation that's really cool. I like to think that the fact that Harry is protected by a love spell means that he has a deeper affinity for love magic and he uses love magic in his regular magic unconsciously unconsciously, and more than more than a regular person would be capable of and in a way that he can't doesn't recognize and can't explain so i think the fact that he can cast a patronus so early and so powerfully is because he's channeling love magic and i think that in the chamber of secrets the fact that he was able to summon forks to him was because of love love for Dumbledore and for like Ginny and Hermione and everyone else that he was there to protect as well so I think like a regular person like just feeling really loyal to Dumbledore and being like I fuck you Voldemort (laughs) I'm here to protect Hogwarts I don't think that would have summoned Forks but I think Harry did it because he was manifesting love magic yeah so I like the idea that that's part of how Forks was able to protect him as well but the the fact that like the basilisk venom came from Voldemort and the love magic specifically protects Harry from Voldemort is also very good. Yeah. Dumbledore says to have been loved so deeply, even though the person who loved you is gone will give us some protection forever. And like, yeah, what was it? What's the quote? She gave you a lingering protection. He never expected a protection that flows in your veins to this day. I just, I absolutely believe that Harry's blood is full of love. I absolutely believe yes. this, and no one can change my mind. It's so clear. Definitely. and I think so too. So then this is a little fact I found, which I was thinking about a lot. When Voldemort took Harry's blood to rebuild his body, he mm-hmm. unwittingly put a few drops of purity, well, they use the word goodness, but I put in purity as well, a few drops of purity back inside himself that gave him one last chance to heal himself if he had repented. We haven't talked about what if Voldemort had repented yet, but I really want to because there's yes. a lot to unpack there yeah so on both like a meta level and also in universe yeah that the blood is that strong that even a few drops of it put in the most evil darkest body that's been recreated in like such a profane inhuman way even a few drops of that little love blood is enough Mm -hmm. to give it the potential to repent and to change completely is powerful yeah 
So this is leading into something else that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. But I kind of want to stay more on the the sacrifice and the protection spell. So I might put a pin in that and I'll come back okay. to Harry's blood potentially being able to redeem Voldemort or give him a chance to redeem himself. I just want to talk about it a bit more generally. So when I was talking about, I guess, the more like primal basic form of the protection, which I think exists in Harry, mm-hmm. versus the more structured version of the spell which Dumbledore created which causes the protection to exist around the Dursley's house and stuff like that yeah I think well when I was reading up about the love protection it said that in order for the protection to form the victim must be given the option to live but consciously choose death to me that seems very ritualistic as well yeah it does yeah and then it was talking about the difference between Harry, Lily sacrificing herself for Harry and Harry sacrificing himself for his found family, as you put it very eloquently. Everyone. And it was talking about how, yeah. like, it's unclear how that manifested. Like, because obviously Harry's situation had, like, structure and rules, but we don't know what happened to everyone who was at Hogwarts that day. The spells seem to not affect Neville as much, but they don't bounce off and rebound onto Voldemort like mm-hmm. they should have. And is it like, no? If like Harry accepted one of those people into his home, would it cast this like protective spell around them for seventeen years as well? I don't think so. So I think that part of the difference, yeah, in these two situations is that Lily died for a person, and that protection was like. From a specific threat, Voldemort, onto a specific person, yeah. Harry. Harry. And that was part yeah. of how it was able to be ritualized and turned into a love protection barrier thing. Yeah. Whereas Harry sacrificed himself for not a specific person, but more for a concept. He yeah. was dying to protect everyone at Hogwarts and all the people that he loved. Yeah. So I think the spell manifested in a different way. And I think that part of how they were protected was as a concept. So, like, Voldemort was attacking not just Neville, he was attacking the people at Hogwarts and he was trying to take over the magical world. I think Mm -hmm. once that group disperses, I guess, and Voldemort is defeated, I think that love protection will fade and disperse as well because it's more tied into that moment and that Mm -hmm. concept and what was happening right then. Yeah. I absolutely believe that. I believe it's a mix of that and the two reasons I'm about to give as well. Mm -hmm. So your ritualistic version where it's like Harry was dying for a concept works. I also think the fact that Harry wasn't sacrificing himself for someone directly related to him is another important factor. Lily died for her son who shared her blood. Mm -hmm. We've discussed that love is linked to blood. Therefore, the love magic is much stronger and purer, I guess you could say. Yes, definitely. The fact that Harry's dying for people who aren't physically related to him, the the spell still works, but it's not as specific and locked down as Lily's one was. Lily's one was. And then thirdly, just the scale of it. On a purely, Mm -hmm. like practical level harry is dying for what 200 people yeah that had spread out across the castle grounds that's like a, a radius of i don't know 50 50 kilometers i don't a, know a huge so just a huge space and a huge crowd the span yeah the span of the spell is different to dying for one little baby right next to me it's mm-hmm. very different so i think it's a mix of all three of those factors yeah because the spells worked like when voldemort cast a body bind curse on neville it worked, but then Neville was able to break it off because of the love, t- mm-hmm. the love shield that Harry had used to protect them. All. Yeah, he was protected to an extent, but it's not like it bounced back and rebounded onto Voldemort like it did when Harry was an infant. No, because it was different. The only other thing that I want to say about that is imagine a scenario in which Voldemort came to the Potter's house and somehow instead of killing James, James was just you know knocked unconscious, and then everything played out exactly the same. Yeah, I think. Okay. If James raised Harry, Lily's protection would still be there in its pure form. But I think the whole structure of, you know, he must live in the house with you and the house will have a protective shield around it. I don't think that would work. Or at least I don't think it would be as strong and as present because James doesn't have Lily's blood in him. And even though he and Harry are family and as closely related as two people can be... Yeah, exactly. James doesn't have Lily's blood, so it just doesn't work as well. Yeah. It's very crazy to think, like, what if Lily hadn't died? 
or Lily. Okay, so what if mm-hmm. Lily and James had swapped places? So Lily had run to the door, and James had gone upstairs with the baby, mm-hmm. and James had thrown himself in front of the spell to save Harry and cast the same love protection. And cast the same love protection. So Harry's still protected because he has James's blood, but no one else has James's blood. James's family is dead. Yeah, Harry has nowhere to go. Yeah. to be safe from Voldemort. It is so lucky that Lily was the one that went upstairs with Harry. Like, and and even then. Petunia and Dudley are the only ones that exist. It's not like yeah. there's a massive contingency net on Lily's side and nothing on James. Like, if it's something had happened it. to Petunia and Dudley, that would have been it. Exactly. It's crazy to think about. Mm. Okay. Okay. I want to return to what you were saying about when Voldemort took Harry's blood into his body, he unwittingly put a few drops of goodness back into himself, giving him a last okay. chance to heal himself. Okay. Okay. So... Back to our theory of how magic developed and what it is. I was saying, we were saying that the idea is that magic started out as these pure emotions and then was slowly structured over time into our modern day spells. Yeah. I theorize that one of the branches of magic, modern day branches of magic that came from love magic is healing. I think the entirety of healing magic comes from love because love is a healing force mm-hmm. i like it yeah which that idea basically came from that one little factoid about how voldemort has a chance to redeem himself because of yeah. harry's blood yeah and then from there i was thinking about so what are the other functions of love because like at its most base pure level i think what can love magic do anything that love can do mm-hmm. but in a magical form mm-hmm. so love can protect which is how everything in the story is possible love can heal love can inspire loyalty as harry was able to summon forks and i think love can also form like attachment and understanding so empathy i wrote down attachment and i had a reason why but i can't really remember it empathy i think harry has like empathy based powers i guess yeah yeah there's a specific example but it's escaping me i guess that's maybe what maybe what the mirror of error says about maybe yeah, sorry. I had a specific reason why I put um, down attachment, but it slipped my mind. Know. And what was the other thing I said? Uh, understanding. I think that any sort of, like, translation sort of magic, or, I don't know, any magic based on, like, bonds between people comes from love. Okay. So, like, divination? Not divination. I don't... Maybe. That's kind of understanding. No, divination would come from time. Yeah, it would. Yeah. If we're going back to the ancient kinds of magic, it would, yeah, it would be time and perception of time. Okay. The other thing that love magic can do is destroy. Yeah, definitely. It can also be a very destructive force. Because, yeah, we talked about how, like, love itself is temperamental, and the room in the Department of Mysteries is so Mm -hmm. dangerous that it's kept locked at all times. And did you know that in the Department of Mysteries, in the love room, they have a giant fountain of amortensia, and it's the most powerful yep, I, amortensia potion in the world. I have so <laughs> much to say about that. We're going to cycle back to this. <laughs> yeah. So love is dangerous and temperamental, and it has the power to destroy, like we talked about with Marip Gaunt and uh, Mrs. Crouch and Winky. And if you fuck with it, if you like love someone who is associated with dark magic so therefore i guess unworthy of the purity of love Mm -hmm. then it could fuck you up (laughs) i guess is what we've come to yeah but it's kind of sad because i feel like it should work in the other way i feel like if somebody's like corrupted by dark magic or whatever and then they're loved by somebody with a great depth of love magic it should redeem the other person rather than corrupting the love person but that's not what we see in the warlock's hairy heart remember yeah Mm. It's it's quite established in this series that that's not how love works in this series. That's why Voldemort doesn't get redeemed. Mm-hmm. If it was Steven Universe, he would have gotten yeah. redeemed, but it's not in Harry Potter. Yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, Steven Universe. I love that show. So good. So good. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> love is cold. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It would be interesting to theorise more about like the destructive power of love and what spells specifically yeah. have manifested from the destructive side of love? Maybe it's kind of like a yin-yang thing, where, like, mm. inside the darkness of yang, there is a little bit of yin. So maybe, like, inside the, 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 inside the hate and spite of dark magic is a little bit of purity and warmth of love, but 
I don't know. I don't think that's how it works in Harry Potter. Mm. <laughs> I don't like that conceptually. <laughs> I think it's completely it's it's too it's too Eastern philosophy for the strict Western Christian values of Harry Potter. <laughs> it's not taking it. <laughs> it's not having it. Yeah, that would be interesting to think about the destructive force of love. Well, we, we've like the only examples it has is the Marope Gaunt thing. I guess it's just it's love potions. That's what the destructive yeah powers of love are. Love potions, okay. and love enchantments, force. So obsession and lust. That's what it is. Here's my question. When I was talking about like the sources of ancient magic, and I said like you know there's sensation, instinct, emotion, thought, time, death. Which of those do you think is the source of love potions and the magic that goes into love spells? Because I'm not sure that it's the love emotion side. Maybe sensational instinct? I think it might be something like instinct and thought. Maybe. Because I think something like a love potion isn't born out of the emotion of love. It's born out of the desire to have somebody else love you, which Mm. is, to me, it's thought. It's like logic trying to override what's genuinely felt. that's it. (laughs) Basically, this is a roundabout way of me saying that I don't think love potions come from love magic, because I really don't like the idea that a love potion creates true and genuine love. Love potions are not consent. And I don't want to associate no. them with love I magic. Mean, no one's saying that they create true love. That's not what they do. Yeah, exactly. I'm saying that if they come from love magic, it's just that we have to adopt, adapt our understanding of what love magic is. It's not all mm. pure and warm and healing and restorative and protective. Yeah. It has its dark side too. Yeah, which I guess doesn't contradict what we know about it. We know that it's incredibly powerful, it's incredibly mysterious, and dangerous. We know that it can be an incredible force for good. But it doesn't necessarily Mm. have to be only an incredible force for good. Yeah. So I want to talk about the love chamber at the Department of Mysteries. Because we're onto love potions and stuff now. Sure. So I've got the quote from J.K. Rowling. The love room. It's the place where they study what love means. So that room, I believe, would have at its centre a kind of fountain or well containing a love potion. A very powerful love potion. That's what they would have found in the love room. So you would see witches and wizards taking it. They would study the effects. The room, of course, has to be locked. So I hate everything about that. Yep. (laughs) I hate this orgy room at the Department of Mysteries. (laughs) And I feel like a big part of the reason why wizards don't understand love is because the people who are dedicated to studying it at the Department of Mysteries have fundamentally misunderstood what love is, and they think that love potions come from love magic, when I think they come from an entirely separate branch of magic. Good theory. And that's why they can't figure out what love magic does. (laughs) This is a big tangent, but just from that, there was one phrasing in that where I really, it's hit me, Mm -hmm. and it brought me back to an old thought I'd had. She said, the love potion fountain must have been in there when they found it. And so, Ooh. that was what she said, right? Because I had this theory ages no, it's, ago. No, that's what they would have found in the love room. That's what so they I think that's like, if Harry, Ron, and oh, the crew could get okay. in through the door, that's what they would have found. Okay. Because I've had this theory, like, forever. that. But I still want to hear your theory. <laughs> okay. I've had this theory forever that, like, so the British Ministry of Magic and, like, the Department of Mysteries, they basically do what, you know, the British Museum does to everyone else in the world. And they've gone and found places of deep, like, primal source magic. Like, these mysterious places, like, the, the veil thing. They mm-hmm. found it somewhere, and they brought it to their country, <laughs> and have been studying it forever. And I think yeah. they found the Fountain of Fair Fortune, and maybe that's, like, in some one of the rooms somewhere. They found, like, you know... Like this, obviously, this deep well of love potion or deep well of love water, whatever you want to call it. And they've been like, yoink, we're taking that, we're going to study it in London. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what's happening in the Department of Mysteries. They're not just like places that have been created to study and serve a purpose, they are relics that have been found from across the world and brought there to be trapped and studied. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I really love that as a theory because it makes sense in universe and it also makes sense on a meta level. Like you said, it reflects what's happened with like actual British culture and <laughs> colonialism. Yeah, that's what that's Yeah, that's a great that's theory. A big thought. We'll get into that one later. <laughs> Penny for your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> 
I have seen a theory that was like, why is the Ministry of Magic in the centre of London? It doesn't make sense to put like so many witches and wizards right in the middle of this massive muggle population centre. And the theory was basically that the entire Ministry of Magic was built around the Veil vale of yeah. Death, which already existed there. It could have been that that started it. And I like that as a theory, yeah. but I like your theory better. Well, it could be that one or two of the <laughs> your things theory makes more was sense. already there in London. Like maybe the Veil vale of Death was already there. Yeah, definitely. And then they brought like, you know, the love well from, I don't know, fucking Aphrodite's fountain and Mamma Mia, you know? <laughs> That's it, it's Aphrodite's fountain. <laughs> um, in Mamma Mia. Don't you, you remember that? like Greece or something. Where's Aphrodite yeah. come from? Don't you remember in the, the, in the yeah. Greek islands and then there's the, the hotels must be built on Aphrodite's fountain? Things like that. And they they stole the fountain of their fortune from, I don't know, China? Anywhere. <laughs> you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah... Yeah, that's my thought on that. That just reminded me of that old theory I had. Good theory. I have... Oh, so many interesting theories about the Department of Mysteries. I have something to say about love and blood. All right. Um, <laughs> very sinister. So, <laughs> basically, from all the research that I did, I made the conclusion that love magic is tied absolutely to blood. This is what makes it the strongest form of magic. Yes, it is still an emotion, so it fits in with our established definition of magic. But it is visceral tie to the body that makes it more primal and stronger, purer, you could say, than other forms of magic. Mm-hmm. It's drawn from emotions which are biologically linked to the magical body. And I was just thinking before, so I made this connection between love and blood, and I think that love magic is drawn from the blood of the person who's wielding it, or like a victim to it, I guess you could say. Yeah. I think that the other primal sources are connected to other parts of the magical body. Oh, so maybe fascinating. Yeah. So I've talked a lot about blood and blood's importance to the body and magic as we know it in our world. Mm-hmm. But you could look at eyes as maybe time. Or you could look at the mind as obviously the brain. Yeah, <laughs> you could thought. look at, you know, um, yeah, thoughts as the mouth. You could really make a lot of connections there that I don't know because I don't know a lot about anatomy and its connection to magic historically. I know bits and pieces from like, you know, studying history. But I know there's a lot to talk about there in terms of, like, how witchcraft connects things like, oh, the eyes are for this and, mm-hmm. you know, the spine is for this and stuff like that. So I'd have to do a lot of research. But here's what I know about blood. So this is from Britannica.com, so I don't know. <laughs> the shedding of blood in ritual sacrifice, which is believed to release the vital force that sustains life. So blood is constantly seen as this vital force. It is life itself. Mm-hmm. It is the element of divine life that functions in the human body. It has magic powers. It's the only food for supernatural beings. It's associated with a variety of non-rational motions, such as passion, death, war, sacrifice, and it wards off malicious powers. This isn't from Harry Potter. This is from our symbolic understanding of blood. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> It sounds exactly like it's from Harry Potter, though. Yeah, it ties into... Well, Harry Potter ties into a lot of these ideas. Yeah. And then this is just like... I looked up a thing where it says this is like a universal symbolic understanding of blood. I don't know how universal it really is, but... You know, I could see it. Mm-hmm. And then the, <laughs> the, it had this Arabic saying, which has, which says, "Blood has flowed; the danger is past." Which I just thought was dope, and I wanted to talk about. That is cool. So, <laughs> I also talked about how blood is of huge importance for wizards. Like unicorn blood can save you from death, but it also curses you. Mm-hmm. Blood appears in candy and in ingredients. <laughs> yeah, it's strongly important for marriage and blood purity. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's all these quotes about Harry's blood, like, oh, you'll be good at Quidditch, it's in your blood, and your mother's love is in your blood, and all this sort of stuff. Like, blood's Yeah, important. definitely. So, when you started talking about blood being intrinsically tied into love magic, or vice versa, at first I wanted to argue with you, but you, you convinced me when you started talking about the different ancient magics tied into different body parts and the symbolism of blood. I think that makes a lot of sense. What I originally wanted to argue against was... Mm. The fact that we often see blood closely tied into dark magic as well. I'm thinking specifically of mm-hmm. uh, like blood of the enemy being used to resurrect Voldemort. And also in the sixth book, when Dumbledore and Harry go to the cave where the Horcrux is hidden and he yeah. has to use his blood to open the door. But I, I now like yeah. that as like a dark magic manifestation of love because... Yeah, love magic being used in terms of sacrifice and protection. I like the idea of love magic and sacrificing your blood 
being turned into like a dark magic ritual. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. So I think it's true. I think yeah, the idea that in order to enter Voldemort's secret dark place, you have to spill something pure and good within you to get in is also poignant. The idea of a blood sacrifice being a dark magic use of love magic is really interesting because way Mm. back in our what is magic and how does it work, what actually is magic miniseries, we talked about how dark magic is not actually a branch of magic, it's a use of magic. So all magic can be dark and all magic could be Mm. good depending on how you use it. Yeah. Yeah. So love magic can be dark if it's used for a dark purpose. So I really like that idea, actually. Mm-hmm. You've, you've convinced me. <laughs> yeah. Because you were talking about how all the sort of arcana, for a better word, the different, like, for lack of a better word, the primal sources of magic mm-hmm. are associated with metaphysical things and with the conscience, right? Yeah, consciousness. But I talked about how that can be tied to the physical yes. form as well, and that's important. And I think it's both. I think they're definitely tied to the physical form. So the conscience metaphysical part is tied to a specific... Yeah, it could be tied to a specific part of the physical form. Blood, bone, skin, eyes. Yeah. Anything. Like That is fascinating. Think about. I wish I had the kind of like... A medical degree paired with like a <laughs> acumen, um, yeah, like a I don't know some sort of scholarly interest uh, in like symbolism. I wish I had the actual knowledge to piece together a more cohesive, cohesive theory. Yeah, but I, you're definitely onto something. Or knowledge of like historical moments, like of like the the intersection between medicine, history, and supernatural studies. Like there's all like you know back in like the yeah. Renaissance time, spiritualism, really into... religion, spiritualism. That's the that's the shit I'm talking about. Like how they, yeah. how they used to cut up bodies and like put piss in people's eyes and stuff because like you know they thought that different parts of the body would heal different parts of your soul stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I had the knowledge of this. And if if you do, listeners, <laughs> write in. If you're a doctor or if you're yeah. a historian that knows about supernatural, like you know, anatomical connections, please write in. Gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you have any sort of insight into this rather than our ramblings. That would be Mm. so good. What I'm also thinking about is, like, various ancient cultures around the world and where they thought the soul resided in the body. So, like, in modern thinking, we tend to think of the soul as either in the brain or the heart. But ancient cultures thought, like, liver, maybe. I think of it as in the spine, personally. Yeah, spine's a good option. I think think it might have been ancient Egypt that said liver, but I can't remember. So don't quote me on that, but definitely liver is one that's been really, really popular. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's basically all my thoughts. Otherwise, I just had two like little notes of what my concluding mm. thoughts one were. One brief thought before we get into your conclusions. I think instinct, if it's going to be linked yeah. to a body part, should be linked to the lungs. Because our most base instinct is to breathe. Ooh. To take breath. That's the basic, basic instinct. It's, it's to breathe. It that trumps every other function that our body has. Mm-hmm. So, so much to think about. So much to think about. Yeah. So this is this is going to spawn another episode, another mini series. <laughs> so I was also I I was also pressed to hard pressed to like put it into words of what I was thinking about in terms of how love is associated with blood. Love is love magic is part of the blood. I was thinking, is that how magic is transferred biologically, like down the lines? Is it like because we've talked about the magical gene mm-hmm. theory, basically? That it's basically like, it can skip a few generations, but it yeah. reappears. Is it like, because love magic is the strongest and maybe the first, most primal source of magic, that's what sparks it in, in wizards? Mm-hmm. Whether they be muggle-born, pure blood, half-blood, whatever. It's all linked to blood? I don't know. I couldn't quite coalesce my thoughts into a cohesive sentence, but that I started thinking on that tangent, but mm-hmm. I didn't know where to go with it. But... Look, maybe I'll come up with something later. Yeah. But I had some thoughts about Harry and Voldemort. So I think an effect of love magic is that because Harry has love blood pumping through his veins, he isn't able to cast extreme dark magic. The exception is when Voldemort mingles Harry's blood with his own. Then Harry can cast unforgivable curses. So, but I theorize that after Harry destroyed the Horcrux within himself and Voldemort was killed, Harry is once again protected from dark magic, including any dark magic he tries to create. This is just a little thought. I don't know for sure. That is a cool theory. 
Yeah. God, you have so many great ideas. I'm glad we're sisters and that we do this show together. (laughs) And also, Voldemort's lack of love is like a blood condition. It's like he's anemic. Because he he was conceived because of his mother's choice from obsessive love. So she chose the darker side of love magic. Mm -hmm. The antithesis to the true form of love, magic exhibited by Lily. The life force which flows through Voldemort isn't love, but it's natural opposite, hate and spite. And these are weaker. So... That's my thoughts. That's it. That's great. Loved how you tied into the two different sides of love, the obsessive and the true love. And like Mm -hmm. Harry being created out of the true love and protected by the true love and Voldemort being created out of the obsessive love and fueled and protected, big air quotes by that. Mm -hmm. That is so fascinating as a parallel and a contrast between Harry and Voldemort. Yeah. All right. Did you have any concluding thoughts? Hmm. No, we basically ran through all of my theory and all of my ideas about love magic. Yeah. You've brought so many new and interesting concepts now. I just want to sit and hash this out over several more episodes. Really get into it. (sighs) We've we've done it. But I feel like that would be a bad episode because (laughs) right now I just want to sort of sit in silence and let it stew. I keep like lapsing into silence being like, no, wait, podcast episode must keep talking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I really think that we have a lot more to talk about in terms of the Department of Mysteries. Is it, like, you know, externally sourced? In terms of what parts of the body are connected Mm -hmm. to the metaphysical, like, primal sources or arcana of magic? And, like, whether or not Harry can do dark magic or anything like that. There's a lot to talk about. (laughs) Yes, uh, it's such a rich world. With so much to talk about and so much depth to it. I guess. Happy Valentine's Day, listeners. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode. We certainly did. (laughs) I've been Rhea, and I I honestly just want to sit quietly by myself for a while and think very deeply about Harry Potter and magic, because I've got some new ideas to mull over. And I've been Jem, and Voldemort had anemia confirmed. Thanks for listening. If you want to support us or get in touch, the links to our social media and Patreon are in the show notes. Please feel free to send us so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.